Morning, guys. Glad you've made it out on this long weekend. Surviving after any uh, football-related celebrations and all of the rest that's going on this time of year. I am literally going to pick up this morning uh, from uh, just about where Sam left off two weeks ago. And, um, and so in that, if you missed that message, as well as James's, just set up your podcast, cue the messages, I think, like keep up um, with the ones before. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. called my message this morning and I actually don't really know how to say it because I, um, I posted an image on Facebook. Um, it says, good, good Christians don't ask questions, but then the don't has a red line through it. Because um, I think um, that that is part of the equation this morning. That sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers. Uh, but what I want to speak to you about this morning is that it's not about finding the answer because we know what the answer is, but actually about finding the questions that are going on around us and inviting Jesus into that space. So just before we get to Exodus chapter 4, we're in Exodus chapter 3, and the story that Sam told us about two weeks ago is Moses as he is out in the wilderness and he encounters the burning bush. He turns aside to see what's going on and out of that God speaks to him. Um, At the end of that chapter, and we didn't cover it entirely, so just to get you up to date, Moses asks his first question of God. I think Sam touched on this right at the end of his message. He asks God, who am I to say that you are? And so before we get into chapter 4, I think it's important to set the stage or the, um, of the, all the questions that Moses comes to ask in the next chapter are all prefaced by the first question, which is to ask of God, who am I supposed to say that you are? God, uh, Moses has encountered God. He's even heard the call of God. And so standing in the presence of God, he says, who am I or who shall I say to them that you are. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And that becomes the foundation of the answer to all the other questions. So let's start from chapter 4. Then Moses says, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A staff. And, he, and the Lord said to him, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and he grasped it and it became a staff in his hand. 
so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, his hand was leprous as white as snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put it back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored just like the rest of his body. uh, If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they'll not believe even these two signs, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses opens with a question, who am I to say that you are? God gives him an answer. Moses follows with a question. It's funny that all the commentaries you'll open up start to judge Moses at this point. They start to say, you know, it was right for Moses to ask. You know, it was right that Moses would ask who is God, to seek God, but it wasn't right. Once he's heard what God has said, uh, then he should stop asking questions. But I find that there's no judgment in the scripture of Moses' questions. Not until right at the end where God seems to get frustrated with Moses, but not because of his questions, but because of his uh, inability to see in himself what God sees in him, but that's another sermon for another day. But at no point in the next, there's four questions that follow. At no point does... God condemn Moses for his questions. He also very rarely gives Moses an answer. It's an interesting one if you want to go through and work your way through the next probably seven chapters of Exodus, you'll see all the questions that Moses comes back to God with in these conversations. And every time, God actually responds with a question much like we see Jesus do in the Gospels, right? He actually wants to find what Moses' real question is. And I think when it comes right down to the end, when Moses says, I can't do it because I lack the ability, I, um, you know, I fail at speaking, I don't um, have a strong voice, I'm slow to speak. You know, he, most scholars suggests that he had some sort of speech impediment, something that actually stopped him from being able to communicate effectively. And so that was what Moses was looking at when he was responding to God's call to go and speak to Pharaoh, never mind the fact that Moses was there having a conversation with God. He feared going to Pharaoh, again, another sermon for another day. It's not in the questioning that God challenges Moses. It's in his view of himself. If we get to a place of condemning the questioner, we actually come to a place that was said yesterday uh, at a gathering that I was at, that faith cannot exist in the midst of certainty. It only exists in the midst of uncertainty. 
So if we are at a place where we condemn the questions but yet ask people to have faith, then we close the door to people actually asking who God is. So let's not get caught up in condemning Moses' tendency to ask questions. Have you ever asked a second question of God, a follow-up question? Or once he says it, do you, you know, just run with that? I mean, I've, there's some stuff in here that I am going, God, what do you say? I open his word and it says, love your enemy. Are you sure, God? When I open it up and it says, you know, to give all you have, are you sure, God? When it says that God has a plan to restore, that God has a plan for the world to be made right, are you sure? Really? I've got some questions. Moses had some questions. He said, are you sure, God? Suppose they do not listen to me. But they say, the Lord did not appear to you. What is this question? It's paraphrase. God, what right? do I have? What authority do I have? What is it that's going to give me the place to be able to speak to Pharaoh? Let's put it in, come back a couple of generations. As if. I like that one from the kids. You know, I've said something they don't like and as if. It's a frustration. I cannot see how these two things make sense. This is what God is, uh, what Moses is saying to God right here. As if. But suppose they do not like this. It's so polite, but I don't imagine this transaction, you know, like being very polite at all. Like if you're going to challenge God, you're probably going to do it with some, like, you know, it's not. But suppose they do not believe me. He's saying, they're not going to believe me. This message you've given me, they're not going to believe me. So God has spoken to Moses and he said that he, can, he must go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And we actually see the response of Pharaoh when you re read in the chapters following. Pharaoh says, as if. As if you want me to let them go, they're more in number than the people. Interesting, by the way, <laughs> that it, Pharaoh says they're more in number than the people. They are people, but let's just. They're more in number than the Egyptians, Pharaoh means. And so if we are to let them go, our whole society falls over. As if. 
the message that God sends Moses to carry to Pharaoh is one that turns their entire society upside down. It is not a comfortable message. It's not just, oh, can you just let us go over here and carry on with your business? It's not we're handing in, you know, our notice and we're going to go along elsewhere and you can carry on as you did. Their entire world was being shaped. They were the entire labor force. They were what made that uh, empire powerful in its time because of the sheer number and contribution of the work of the people, this was not an easy message to take to Pharaoh. And so we imagine that God is going to give us a word for our lives and we go, God, that can't be you, that's not comfortable. God, as if you can be calling me to do that, that's not gonna that's gonna affect other people. I'm gonna have to ask that's gonna that's gonna turn my world upside down. That's gonna make me change the way I live, leave things behind that I didn't want to leave behind. That's gonna make people look at me different. That is too much to ask. And what if people don't believe that you told me to say this? What if people don't believe that I have heard from you? What is it that God is calling you into that would turn the world upside down if you were to step into it? God is not offended if your question back to him is, are you sure, God? You are not forsaking God or, or you know, you're not not enough because you've asked that question. Maybe that's not a sermon for another day. Maybe that's what we need to see in this. That Moses, God's frustration with Moses' inability to see that he was the one that God was calling. If we look at merely questioning as disqualification, then how are we going to get the, to the next part of this conversation? You are not disqualified because you wondered. But I would probably be more confident in saying that if you are hearing what God is calling you to, then you should be questioning. You should be saying, are you sure, God? It should be something that makes you have to take a step back and go, really? 
It's not going to be a comfortable call. It's not going to be an easy walk. Moses doesn't see himself as being able to do what God is calling him to do. It's not the people's response, really, that he's questioning, but whether he carries anything in him that gives him the ability to be able to take that message to Pharaoh. And I love what God does through our questioning. See, he doesn't answer Moses' question here, but he helps Moses figure out what his actual question is. God, the original psychologist. It's interesting that this is literally the process that you're taught in counselling to do. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? See, he doesn't hear Moses' statement, suppose the people are going to say this. He hears Moses' heart. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have what it takes. Lord, we don't have much to offer. We don't have what it takes. God, are you sure that you're calling our little church to make space for those in our world who feel like there is no other place that they can fit? Are you sure? Are you sure that you're calling us to be a light and influence in our city? Are you sure? Really, the question is, do we have anything to do that with? What is our ability to do that, God? What are we going to do that's going to get us to be able to walk into the place that you're calling us to walk into and be in a position that people will listen? He says, what do you have in your hand? Church, I want to ask this morning with a few more minutes that you would consider what you have in your hand. Moses was a former prince who'd become a shepherd, serving his father-in-law's household. This isn't a place of, you know, glory or power or anything. It's actually a very humble, if you understand the way that their society was structured to be serving in the household as a married man, to be serving in the household of your wife's father. It's particularly a humbling place to be in. And so Moses carries with him a shepherd's staff. It represents his vocation, 
his commission at that time, where he was in the world, what he did, what he held. The shepherd's staff is a tool that represents not only um, you know, something that gave them the ability to fend off things that were um, you know, potential dangers, but also to help to guide the sheep um, and also to help keep um, some stability on the ground. If you've ever tried to walk in a limestone quarry, that's kind of what the wilderness in, um, like in the Negev where, uh, where Moses was. It's literally like that rocky limestone. Like if you take, put your foot the wrong way, it all kind of slides and you go like do that whole like really unflattering kind of skid on your butt the whole way down the hill kind of deal. That's, it's really unstable ground. And so to be able to plant something, well, you know, to hold your ground. So a shepherd would... Um, have a staff and you'd get comfortable with that you know it like became the thing that would um you're familiar with it you get one that's the right height it's like and in a place where by the way there are no trees so this is not like he could just go and get another one it's like there is literally like nothing in the negev like like Occasionally you see like these little tufts of something and you're like, how are animals surviving in this? And they do. They basically demolish anything that's like slightly edible. But there, there are not trees. You are not going to find another strong wooden staff to, like, that he could you know, form a new one out of. So this is like quite an important thing to Moses. And I think you need to understand all of that when God says, throw it on the ground. Because at this point, Moses is like, I don't know what you're up to here. Like, there's the bush thing, and there's like, you know, and like all sorts of stuff. Like, who knows what God's going to do? He's asking him to throw it down. Does that mean it goes, he doesn't have it anymore? Are you asking me, God, to give up what it is that you've put in my hand, the only thing I have that practically keeps me grounded in this world and is my livelihood and is who I am? I, you know, for all the things that I was... I'm not anymore. This is all I have left, God. You're asking me to throw it on the ground? The Lord said, what is in your hand? What is in your hand this morning? What are the skills and abilities that God has given you, the place in the world that God has given you? whether it be your workplace or your family. Maybe it's something that you're involved in that you would, you know, call ministry. It's all ministry, by the way. But, you know, if you have something that you're doing, leading, a space for that. What is it that's in your hand this morning? And even if it doesn't look like much, Watch what God does. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, it became a snake. I always wondered about this. Like, why a snake, God? But I wonder if, like the staff, 
And the snake through the Bible, by the way, we often associate it with the whole Genesis Garden of Eden story, but there's all sorts of, um, it's used symbolically in kind of a whole range of ways. But when Moses' staff is thrown on the ground, Moses doesn't see this snake as something kind of metaphorical, magical, or like he, he gets away from it. He's scared of it. It's dangerous. I think, you know, there might be a whole lot more going on. But the simplest thing that we can see in this is that what is in Moses' hand, God is revealing that it has the potential to be something that isn't what God wants it to be. How many times do we... Another thing I heard yesterday was that the prodigal son is not a story about people who go outside of being in relationship with God. It's actually about a story about people who squander the inheritance that God has given them. It's a story about what, uh, what happens when we fail to actually recognise what God's put in our hand and to use that. Um, you know, and it is, it is in a lot of ways different things as, as much a story about the brother than as much as the prodigal. But, but one of the things we see very clearly is that we have the ability to choose how we use what God puts in our hand. And so we see that out of Moses' control, the snake becomes, or the staff becomes something that he has to step back from, it's dangerous, and then God calls him to pick it back up. Would you do that? Do it, like... Put your, do you read the Bible and like put yourself in the position and just go for a second? There is a snake on the ground and God is saying, pick it up. Sometimes what God is calling us to do looks like it's going to turn around and bite us if we do it. Reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand, he grasped it. It became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has appeared to you. See, if we, if we can be obedient with what God has put in our hand, if we can put it down, as God says to put it down, and if we can pick it up, when God says to pick it up, if we would be willing to hand it over, if we would be able to use it to demonstrate the power of God, then they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors has appeared to you. See, what God has placed in your hand, whether it be 
your vision for the future. Maybe it's your resources. Maybe it's your career. As you are obedient to God with that, it no longer is something that you need to step back from that can become dangerous, but something that demonstrates the power of God. Something that reveals that he has spoken to you. And ask the music team to come and join me. What is in your hand? What is in our hand, church? It might not look like a lot. But if we're willing to hand it over to God and pick it back up as and when he says, then we can trust that God is the God who will reveal his power in a way that people will see who he is. In, the, in a way that would help people find freedom. If you follow the conversation, Moses again shares where he feels inadequate and God provides a response He speaks to who Moses is. He provides the support alongside him that he needs. Even the means to speak where he can't. It's almost as if it gets to the point where God provides for Moses the means in a more obvious way because Moses literally couldn't see how he could do it alone. But I wonder if God would have worked through Moses at that time without Aaron alongside him. It seems when you read it as if God is kind of like, all right, we'll do it your way. Here you go. Sometimes we think if we don't quite get it perfect, if we haven't you know, if we get out of step, then God's going to give up on us. Maybe we haven't got it right all the way along. But one thing I know is that God hasn't given up on us. Maybe you feel like you failed somewhere along the line. But one thing I know is that God hasn't given up on you that he is still calling you to be in that place of influence, that he has 
spoken over your life, that he has given you the ability to negotiate whether you feel like you can or not. There's another place where we hear that what is in your hand echoed. In the Gospels, where Jesus says to his disciples who've said, we have no food to feed these people, God, send them away. We have nothing to offer. We have no more. We've given everything we can, but the resources are depleted. We can't meet any more needs. We can't do anything further for them. Send them away. And Jesus says, what is it? Or how many loaves do you have in one of the Gospels? Or what do you have in your hand in the other? He asks that they hand it over. And it says of that situation that at the end of having provided for everyone that was present that they were able to collect up 12 baskets from the broken pieces to have 12 baskets was to show that God had provided enough for the 12 tribes of Israel or as now that God had provided enough for everyone. Told them to collect up the broken pieces and what, what they had was going to be or was the prophetic picture of the church that he was going to establish. Not this one, but the church. Twelve baskets of broken pieces that would provide for the world. What do we have in our hand today? What do you have in your hand today? What is it that God is potentially asking you to throw down and allow him to work in? Or maybe you're where I feel like I'm at, where I feel like I've thrown it down and I don't know if I want to pick that up. But God is saying, pick it up. Pick it up. Stand, church. Close your eyes right now. Maybe all you have right now to offer to God 
is this moment and your life. Maybe you feel like you have nothing else to go on right now. And the challenge this morning is to lift your hands and say, here I am. I wonder if Moses ever saw that staff as anything more than a reminder that he wasn't a prince anymore, but he was just a shepherd serving in his father-in-law's house. I wonder if it wasn't until that moment where God said, what do you have in your hand, that Moses even realised he carried anything at all. Maybe your question today is, I don't know what's in my hand. God, help me to see if there's even anything. Every eye closed. If you know you need to hold something out to God, lay it down. If you need to be obedient to God and pick something up, If you need to hand your life over to God and say, God, I don't even know what's in my hand anymore, just lift your hands right now in the presence. Allow God to speak to you. And surrender to him. God, I lay it down. God, I'll be obedient to you and how you say. And when you say, I'll pick it up again if you say. I don't know if I even have anything to throw down anymore. But here I am. Would you take these broken pieces, God? Would you make something of them. Lord, we stand before you with hands raised, With hearts open, with ears inclined to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Give us the courage Help us to see through the questions to who you are. Help us to be those that don't try to answer every question but hear the questions in those around us so that we could reflect who you are better.
God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to every person right now that feels like they missed it, like they left it behind, like maybe they don't have anything left because they ask too many questions. you speak this morning? Help us all to see that it's not a perfect plan that you asked us to pick up, but something that looks precarious, something that looks like broken pieces, something that doesn't always make sense, that looks more like questions than answers. But help us to keep our eyes on you all the while. As we sing this song, we've got a few moments. If you want to respond by walking out this morning, to have someone pray with you or pray, then I'd love to just make that space open. That's you come forward. When we know that it's the broken pieces put back together that form his church, then this crazy little practice of coming around a table with broken pieces of bread it makes a little more sense because it's here that it's put back together it's here that the picture is made complete. Jesus showed us how. He fulfilled it. When he was raised to life, said his body was broken, but three days later he rose from the dead and in his resurrection there is life. The broken pieces put back together. The church when each of us in our broken peace state is able to come and be part of something bigger, able to stand alongside each other, able to get through whatever differences we have because of what he has done. then we start to be the picture. In mercy, gathered. So this morning, we gather around mercy.
So church, this is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little. You who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today. Come, let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave your judgment of your own questioning behind and receive God's mercy this morning. Leave indifference behind. Leave behind the inability to see that others are questioning that others have just as much doubt, that others are just like us, just broken pieces. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now. Go and be a forgiver and run back if it's necessary. Because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ would encounter him here. So come. Church, you just remain standing. We'll read the benediction together. Church, we have come as we are, but by his grace we are not sent out the same. For in this place the spirit that anointed Christ is being poured out over us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild this city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, Live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's freedom of mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. Be blessed, church.